All right, uh, Kim Borchers here, and I'm delighted today to have some of my friends who are causing trouble across the state. I've got Kirk Allen and John Kraft. Kirk, it, it looks like you're in jail. <laughs> no, I'm actually, uh, we, we had to move a, an elderly woman out of her apartment, and we're in the middle of her living room right now, and I found a good white wall as a backdrop that I could sit here and do this. Okay, well, fantastic. Um, I jokingly give that joke about jail because um, Kirk and John, they um, run an organization called the Edgar County Watchdogs. And I had the privilege of interviewing Kirk um, with the Policy Circle organization. And I thought, I've got to get this guy in front of kind of my following on Facebook uh, because of the work that you're doing. And a lot of the things that I think there's a great deal of frustration with the citizenry and what they're seeing, not just at the federal level. I mean, yesterday, talk about yesterday. I mean, I just, we, we won't even go there. Where do you start? Um, but just at the state level and at the local level, you guys are doing a lot of work at the local level. But so what I'd like to do first, I know, John, sometimes if you pop in, it's going to be challenging for us to get coverage on you because of just technology. But if, if Kirk, I'm going to start with you and you can kind of give just a little bit of your, your background and then I'll have John give his background. You bet. You bet. Um, my name is Kirk Allen. I started uh, uh, when I retired out of the military. I, I joined our fire department, became a, an EMT and really didn't have local politics or local government on my radar or watchdogging or anything like that. And due to a ambulance call one evening, 11 day old baby not breathing, that led to where we're at today, almost 11 years later with this organization. Um, we uncovered that through an ambulance call, the dispatchers had never been certified in six years to dispatch medical calls. We uncovered that our board that controls those dispatchers lied to us. That lie led to another lie. And as we peeled back the onion, we spent two years just in our county exposing malfeasance and corruption like we never dreamed was possible right there in our backyard. And as we started writing about it and sharing that information, other counties saw what we wrote, started questioning the same thing, and it just escalated from there. And, and now we're literally all over the country doing this kind of work. Wow. John, how about yourself? How did, how did you get part of this movement? Well, um, after I retired from the military, I moved to Paris, Illinois, and just got a job at the local Catholic school. Um, they, I had an issue with the school board, one of our local school boards, and Kirk and I were sitting at a dinner for the new sheriff at his house. He invited a whole bunch of people over to celebrate his election victory, and we started discussing our issues with him with the 911, me with the school board, and we just uh, right then and there decided to do something about it. And we figured it would just involve, you know, little things in Edgar County. And the more we started writing, the, the more people from other cities and counties uh, would contact us for help and then other states. So, you know, about 10 years later, here we are. Lo and behold, you're you're on Facebook with with Kim Borchers in Topeka, Kansas. So, um, well, what I thought was important and what I love about what you guys are doing is it started at a grassroots level. It's in it was local, and you know, John, I don't. So, your story about the school board, what what was happening there that led you to to go? I need to start doing something about this. Well, um, at the time. 
I ran a small videography company that, you know, videotaped weddings, uh, you know, school plays, football games, things like that. Tractor cruises that we have around here in Illinois for antique tractors. And I approached the school uh, asking for permission to videotape their annual school play and sell copies to the parents. And they told me at the meeting that that was not going to be discussed that night. So I left. And eight o'clock the next morning, I got a call from the secretary. Then, and she told me that they gave the guy the job to the guy that's been doing it for the last twenty years. And so I was thinking, you know, how could they not discuss it if she's telling me that they gave the job to somebody else? So that was the issue with the school board. So it's the the good old boy network. That's right. And you guys are good old boys, <laughs> and you got and you got locked out. Um, well, and I, and, and Kirk, I jokingly asked you about if you were in jail because you've been real busy. I got on your, on your website and I always tell people this, one of the things that I have great admiration for both you and John Kirk is that you are no respecter of political parties. You go after bad actors, whether they are Republican or Democrat. And yeah. I think that's part of the problem, right? Everyone everyone will go after the guy on the other side of the aisle. Um, but you know, you, you guys, when you see something that is wrong and not fair and is in violation of the law, you're going to go after him. Yeah, um, we, don't, we don't care what party it is. Right. And I, which I think is, well, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, quite honestly, I'm a Republican. And if you're screwing around as a Republican, you're making me look bad. <laughs> so I want you to go. <laughs> um, so can you share with us just a little bit about some of the things that you you guys are uncovering? And you and I spoke a little bit about this. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of this at the county level. There is so much money right now that is coming in with COVID. Um, you, you hear a lot about economic development and people are setting up these separate nonprofits and, and yet no one seems to know where the money is going. And if you ask, it's like you've got horns growing out of your head. Um, can, can you kind of walk people through? Because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. You don't even know what to ask for. Well, a lot of times, and we'll look at the from a county level government standpoint, just looking at the financial transactions, whether it be you know, credit card statements of elected officials or the county itself, itself um, the economic development expenditures you know, who owns these nonprofits, who manages them, how much of the money being sent to them is, is dispersed to actually serve their mission versus taking care of payroll within their own organization. And some of these places, it's 80, 90% is all going to salaries and compensations of people that work for the nonprofit and very little going to the actual mission that they talk about doing for economic development. Um, we've got a case that we're started on now out in Maryland with three nonprofits that are getting millions of dollars and uh we're just in the you know the early stages of that but we're we're actually doing it because there's some folks that have realized hey something's not right here and every time we look at it that's the case you know there's no accountability to how that money's being spent and you just follow the money and start connecting the dots and you'll build the family tree it works every time well so kirk let me ask you this especially in this instance because i have seen in some small counties when they've tried you you've got a really good person, they run for office, they start asking questions and they make a request and they're like, well, we don't have to provide that to you because that's a nonprofit, that's not government. 
Right, and some some states they don't have to provide it, and other states they do. Um, every FOIA law from state to state is slightly different. Now, if they're contracted in Illinois, if they're contracted with the public body, those records are public records. Uh, what a lot of people don't understand with with nonprofits, their 990s are public records. You can request those directly from that entity, and if they don't provide them, then they're violating the IRS rules. Um, but there is a way to get those. GuideStar is one of the uh, the facilities mm-hmm. that we use all the time to look up those type of records. But those aren't real time. I mean, it's hard because those GuideStar, sometimes they're like two years behind. They're not even posting sure. what happened last year. Correct. And But it's a good indicator. And as an example, some of the stuff going on at the federal level, it's probably been five or six months ago, but we identified money that was going into one of the uh, healthcare or research studies on this whole Wuhan virus issue. It's right there in the documents and nobody was looking at the 990s that's getting money from the federal government at Fauci's request. So that information's there, just people aren't digging it up and publishing it. So let, let me ask you, um, and, and John, maybe you can chime in. So we, we've had some people who began asking questions of local school districts, um, especially when you're talking about mask mandates. And, and Kirk, I want you to share your story because I thought it was interesting. It's It's typical government, they'll, they'll make a mandate and a requirement. And then all of a sudden, then you're gonna see a law passed and sort of like, so you didn't have the authority to do that in the first place. But I've got some parents who are sending out FOIA requests and they're not hearing from anybody or if they do hear, oh, we've got it, give us some time. And it's been weeks. So what are the next steps for people when they're not getting a response from a local government entity? Now, is that there in Kansas? It's in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Do you know what your timeline requirements are for FOIA? Do they have a designated? Um, well, typically you have to respond within three days. And this is someone from experience having worked in a governor's office, right? So um, you have three days to respond of receipt, but it's like after that, I mean, we were we were always very responsive to people, but you've got a local citizen who's making an appeal to her superintendent of schools because they want to know what kind of conversations have gone on between the teachers union, you know, on these mask mandates, who have these folks been talking to? Um, And and I think it's only fair um, as as these decisions have been made. And and so you're just, and what have they been told? You know, are you making these decisions because you're fearful of litigation, or you've been told, oh, if you don't do this, then some kid dies, then you'll be held liable. I mean, and those things are nonsense, right? I mean, COVID, right. can you can get it anywhere. You can get right. it at McDonald's. Um, so so, well, you, so can't get what is, you, can't, you can't get it at Walmart, Home Depot, um, you know, some of the big box stores, you can't get it there. It's only the small chain, you know, mom, pop operations. That's where you get it. Mm-hmm. So is it, I don't know that it's specific after the three days when you've made notification. I mean, what are the options? Do folks need to go to the AG or the district attorney? What's your, Yeah, you're in so many states. Each state is different, but typically there's a process to appeal to the attorney general or in Illinois, we have what's called a public access counselor. It's part of the AG's office. uh, And that's one process. Now here in Illinois, that's a very slow, painful process. We've had some of those requests that take up to five years to actually get resolved. Well, you know, that just, that doesn't do anybody any good. The secondary option is to litigate it. Now, several states have attorney fees at what they call a fee shifting, where if you prevail and prove they violated the act, they have to pay your attorney fees. Um, 
the biggest and most important thing to do is to continue to create the paper trail. When can I expect my records? What is the delay? Can you give me an anticipated time frame? If your law has a designated time that they have to provide within so many days and they don't, then it's time to you know give them another another week. Hey, if you don't, I'm going to exercise my legal rights. And mm -hmm. amazingly, more often than not, they'll produce those records. Um, we've got a case right here in Illinois that we just got the record yesterday, 10 days shy of a year after the request, six months after we filed lawsuit against them. Mm -hmm. And now they're saying, well, we gave you the record, so let's settle this lawsuit. Well, yeah, we're going to settle the lawsuit. You're going to pay fines and penalties for what you did, and you're going to pay attorney fees. And amazingly, the records they ask us for, they didn't strip the metadata. The document was created two days ago. So it's kind of hard to have a document of information that I asked for a year ago when you just created it. I knew they didn't have it. It was fabricated a year ago. I knew this stuff was false and now we've got the goods on it. So never wow. trust, never trust the public body. You've got to keep a paper trail uh, and then know what those options are as far as, you know, requests for review through the attorney general or, or the local state's attorney, depending on the state. Uh, but we could, we could look up the Kansas law and be able to tell you exactly what that process is. It's pretty straightforward. And well, uh, one, one thing that wasn't mentioned was, uh, on top of the first two that Kirk mentioned, number three is open a website and write about the experience of not receiving the FOIA request. Uh, that will more than likely uh, move the school district into action more than uh, complain to the attorney general. Yeah, they don't well, like that public embarrassment. So, so let me, let me I, I mean, because I think people we all like stories, right? It's sort of like it, you know, I, I, so I would love to hear from you guys, like some of the most egregious things that you're finding. Because uh, I think people, there's like this, there's like this gut feeling that something's not right. I mean, we're seeing this right now in the state of Kansas in school board races, um, where for a job that you don't get paid for, <laughs> the, the malicious nature in which people have been acting, I'm like, what's the, what's the give here, right? I mean, you've got people who are going on to people's, you know, small business owners, Yelp sites and giving them one ratings and, and spouting out things that are false. And I'm like, so, so what are people, what are you seeing the kinds of things that are getting hid? What are they trying to hide? Boy, that's a, Boy, good, that's question. a good question. John, you want to cover that one? Any silent? Sure. Um, a lot of times, um, they they try to hide, um, you know, credit card expenses. Uh, we we see that a lot. And when we request information from a public body, uh, one of the first items we request are credit card statements. Every page of the statement uh, that would typically cover at a minimum um, from October through February because that's when the holiday season is. Mm. Um, and that's typically when public officials will start using the credit cards or public employees or buying gift cards for, for employees instead of, you know, giving them a legitimate bonus, they'll hand them a hundred dollar or $500 gift card. And, it, and it's, and they won't report it as wages and taxes. Well, mm. in Illinois gifts, gifts are no, no, you can't give a gift to a public official or public employee. 
And if they were eligible for a bonus, they, they, everybody likes to give a Christmas bonus, but they don't do it properly. Christmas bonuses or any other bonus has to be in their employment contract uh, with measurable results to achieve in order to get the bonus. They just give away flat out, okay, give everybody $100 or $250 Christmas bonus. They can't do that. And they like hiding that. And then when we, we ask for the information, unfortunately, the local newspaper uh, uh, reports on what you know, the township or the uh, school board tells them about our request for information on bonuses. Oh, they hate mm -hmm. Christmas. Why do they hate Christmas presents? <laughs> And typically, if you request something from a school, it's because you hate children. Uh, I'm sure you know that by now. Um, yeah, I'm a mother of three, and I hate children, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other things are that we find here are employees or public officials working for the public body that they're an elected official for. And it happens a lot in townships and small municipalities. Um, for example... Uh, in the winter when, with snow removal, uh, township board members will hop on a snow plow and, and get paid for plowing snow. Well, they can't do that. Or a road commissioner will use uh, township equipment to repave somebody's private driveway. Mm -hmm. They can't do that either, but it happens all the time. And unless somebody notices, takes pictures and lets us know what's going on, um, nobody would know about it. And they also like parking their RVs and boats inside township road district buildings in the winter when the rest storage. of the public doesn't have access to that. Well, you're, you're, I mean, you're talking a, a lot about this conflict of interest. I mean, you're seeing school boards where the guy, you, you got a new building project and he's owning, owning a glass company and oh, voila, who got the glass contract, right? I mean, um, yeah. Or the guy who owns the local insurance company who sits on the school board and voila, who's insuring the school district? I mean, it's, I mean, quite honestly, okay, granted, you might have had the lower, but it just looks bad. It, it looks, it looks like you got favoritism shown towards you. I mean, if you don't, right. if you want the business, then get off the school board. And the job that doesn't pay. <laughs> yeah, and to give you an example on a, a school board, a recent situation, we did our first training down in Florida a few months ago. Okay. And they have an issue with the superintendent that was hired. They told everybody for three days, this is your new superintendent. And then they called a special meeting and rescinded the vote and hired someone else. And it created tons of controversy. They broke all kinds of rules, but this woman is now, she was the former attorney for the school district. Well, she's now the superintendent. No education background whatsoever. They wanted the records. They wanted the communications. How did all this happen? Who was texting who? Mm -hmm. And in Florida, with their sunshine law, if an outside party is a facilitator to communicate, that becomes a violation of their sunshine laws but they wouldn't give up the text messages. They wouldn't give up the emails. They wanted to charge them a fortune for it. Mm -hmm. And we walked, I, I've spent hours on the phone with a gal down there and we walked her through the process, befriend board members, find one you can talk to, be a friend, be a supporter. And slowly but surely, right. here we are six months later, they now have the text messages with the former superintendent who orchestrated the facilitation of removing the guy they elected 
and getting the votes needed to hire this other woman. Wow. And they're getting ready to file their open records, their sunshine lawsuit in Florida over that. And it, it took about six months to get all this put together, but they've got the goods on them now. And they just patiently followed the step-by-step -step plan and they got the records. Well, and Kirk, and we wonder why people are so untrustworthy of government. Yeah, it's, I don't trust any of them anymore. I, you know, it's, you, you try to verify it. That's part of getting the records mm -hmm. is to verify. Right. And anytime they don't want to give you the records or they throw up a hurdle, that's a red flag. And if they're going to be transparent, put the records on the table and let me look at them. I can take a picture of them with my phone. So let me, let me ask you this question because I, I, there are some really good people who are serving and you they're bet. kind of stuck, right? They're a city council person. They know something's not right. Um, and they're making requests and no one's delivering it. I mean, what are the options for someone who is really um, in good faith trying to come and serve their community? And they're just kind of alone. Do, do they need to go through the same thing as a, court, a, a FOIA request? Well, unfortunately, yes. Now, we've had a case here in Illinois. Um, we had a, a single board member that was exactly as you described, fighting you know, for transparency and getting information. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to listen to closed session recordings and they wouldn't let her. They said, well, you weren't on the board when those meetings took place. And she goes, that doesn't matter. The meeting, those records belong to the board, not the individual that was on the board at the time. And we actually got the law changed to where it mandates elected officials shall have access to those records. So we had to legislatively fix that because the other people, they didn't want her to hear what was on those recordings. That's what it was. And once she got you know, the chance to listen to them, the racism that was going on and being orchestrated by the other board members was beyond comprehension. But wow. now they can't hide behind that anymore. So if you get one good elected person in there, you know, at least in our state, they're able to listen to those records. And a lot of times that one person is the one that reaches out to us so that we can put additional pressure on them. Right. No, that's, that's, well, you know, that's good to know because I just, we've got a lot of really great people who are running for office and um, I think they feel kind of alone. Yep. And, and so it's, so if they're the only person who gets on and they don't have the majority, what, what kind of impact can they actually make? So that, that's, that's good for me to hear. Um, so my next question is, is for people who are wanting help in kind of, how do they get trained to do this? Because most, most people come in, they don't even know what to do. The number of times I have people, they're private messaging me, okay, okay, how do I do this? How much longer do I wait? I mean, do you guys offer any type of training? You and I've talked a little bit about this and maybe having you guys come into Kansas and I'd be more than happy to host it in Topeka for people who want to do this. Yeah, what happened when we, with Edgar County Watchdogs, it grew to a point where we found ourselves constantly trying to train people how to do what we were doing. You know, they would be four or five hours away from us. And instead of, you know, us jumping in a vehicle and do it, we'd walk them through the process. And we identified a need for a training organization. And that's when we created what's called American Watchdogs. And we go all over the country and we put on a about a four hour seminar that's tailored to the state we're in. And we focus on open meetings records or open meetings laws and freedom of information laws. And we share the tactics and strategies we've used and applied with those laws to their situation locally, just like we did with Florida. We walk them through that process. 
We identified people on the ground that were going to run with the information, and now here they are having great success. Um, and everywhere we go, if you just follow the format and follow what the law is, you'll find that there's no politics involved. The law doesn't know what political party somebody is. And when you apply well, that law, when you apply that law equally across the board, they can't say, oh, you're just a partisan hack. No, mm -hmm. we're a watchdog that's going to hold you accountable. and We don't care what party you are. Mm -hmm. Well, justice is supposed to be blind. Yes, yeah, right? supposed to be. I mean, it's supposed to be blind. But but I think we, we have a lot more people paying attention. I'm just curious, have you guys had folks doing things on election integrity? Because that seems to be a really big issue all across the country. Um, great, great question. Uh, Carol Davis up in the suburbs of DuPage County, uh, we've done several training classes with her and her group. Um, and her focus was on election integrity. They took on a mission several years ago to focus on that. Right there in their backyard, just last month or two, the judge ordered a full recount in DuPage County. And it is going on right now because they had upwards of 1,600 ballots that uh, should, the numbers don't match. There were too many ballots for the number of people that were registered to vote. And they fought the battle and looks like they're gonna end up with a, a county auditor that gets tossed rightfully uh, because wow. of the fraud that's going on in this place. So wow. everybody everybody has a certain niche or, or a passion and we just try to help them capitalize on whatever that passion is and point them in the right direction. Right. We wrote an article on that. Uh, it was Dominion voting uh, was the issue and we found a contract with Dominion that was what I called it an anti-transparency contract. And we exposed things within that contract that were just tons of red flags mm -hmm. and they ran with it. And as they bird dogged it through the system, they now have a full recount going on in that county. And they've already done a, 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 a cursory recount. We know the other guy's going to win, uh, but now they're doing a full recount of the judge's right. orders. So that's, that's right. pretty big. Well, and, and, and that's like right there in front of you. I mean, yeah. you've got more ballots than people who are actually registered to vote. There's a problem there. And so I think part of what I really love about what you and John are doing is you are um, giving people the resources and the knowledge to be successful. Because what happens is you and I both know people can throw a lot of accusations out, but if you don't follow the process, yep. you're not going to accomplish anything. I mean, right. And so I think you, you hit the nail on the head too. I mean, if, if your passion is election integrity, if your passion is local school board accountability, if your passion is city councils and county you commissions bet. and these economic development, I mean, it's just providing people with the tools to be successful. Um, what, what I would love to know is your favorite, this sounds terrible, your favorite egregious story or like the story that you are most proud of that you can say, I am proud that I was a part of um, having fairness and justice and some accountability to the law on this. Um, and Kirk, I'll start with you. And then John, I'll let you give yours. Well, it's a, there's probably a couple of them, but the, the biggest story I think that I've ever been involved in that uh, we finally here recently have confirmation that we were absolutely dead right from day one. In Illinois, we have what's called an auditor general and he was appointed by our state legislature. It's a 10 year position. Uh, it's nonpartisan. He's not allowed to have any role in any politics, no campaigning, no nothing. And within three days of him being appointed, we uncovered about a half million dollars of campaign expenditures from his campaign account when he was a state representative. 
the vast majority of those expenditures were for personal matters. They were not qualified campaign expenditures. We exposed it. It became a U.S. attorney investigation. He was cooperating with them. Then he pled the fifth. Um, long story short, he fought it and fought it and fought our allegations. He fought the State Board of Election complaint, but the Supreme Court this year came down and said he broke the law. <clears throat> so we were validated in that whole process. You know, a lot of people said, oh, you're just going after him because he was a Democrat. No, he was breaking the law. We won at the Supreme Court, not we personally, it wasn't our lawsuit, but the, the Supreme Court ruled that he broke the law. And bottom line is, he's still our Auditor General. And it's a signal to everybody in our, in our state how corrupt the state of Illinois is. We have a Supreme Court that has issued a ruling that the Auditor General, the top watchdog of the state, has violated campaign finance laws. And he's still getting a state paycheck as Auditor General. That's, I mean, that should scare the hell out of everybody when that level of corruption can go on and nobody does anything. I mean, is that's there not, how, wow. There's, there's resolutions in the House by the good state representatives to remove him from office, but we are, we're a minority in the House, the Republicans are, and they right. will not bring that resolution to the floor for a vote. And even if they brought it to a floor for a vote, He's not going to get removed, but we need to know how people vote. We need to see that they're not willing to remove a corrupt individual from that office, but they won't do it. They absolutely will not. There's not, there, there has to be accountability, but that's probably the biggest story over. A, and that was in 2016. We broke that story and we were the demons and we were wrong and everybody attacked us for what we did. But here we are in 2021. The Supreme Court spoke loud and clear. We were absolutely right. Was that the Illinois Supreme Court? Yes, ma'am. So, so you have the top auditor, the guy who's supposed to keep everybody honest. It was shown that he had broke the law and there's no penalty for him. Zero, none. Oh, okay. I'm glad I don't have a heart rate monitor on. <laughs> well, Because you would think I'm going to have a heart attack. Keep in mind, that's, that's a, what I would call a big story, a big state official. But the successes are all at the local level. When you start hammering the folks right there in your backyard, that when they look at you face to face, they know who you are. Their spouses see each other at the grocery store. And over time, when you start publishing articles about them and putting their picture up there in videos of what they say, and you start isolating the laws that they're violating, they don't want any part of that. They flee. I mean, we're at over 455 people out of office now because of the exposure. So on one side, you know, it's like, gosh, there's no hope if you can't get rid of a guy like the Auditor General with all that evidence. Mm -hmm. But on the lower side, if you can't fix it locally, you can't fix it anywhere. You fix it locally and you start training good people. Those people move up the chain and become your future politicians that actually do a good job. Right. No, that's a great point. John, how about you? Well, I would say the other big one has to be College of DuPage. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there was so much corruption there. It's just unbelievable. And, and we, I think we attended board meetings once and twice a month for over two years. And that's a three and a half hour drive one way for us. Uh, wow. So we would drive up once or twice a month for well over two years. The, uh, and we uncovered all kinds of, uh, fraudulent activities, they almost the, 
well, the entire board or almost the entire board uh, at the following election when we first got started uh, was replaced. The college president uh, was replaced. He was making half a million dollars a year. Um, the, and in the process, we earned the attention of the Chicago media. Because uh, when it first started, we, we publish documents, public records with articles that we write. So if we write something, we're going to reference the public record that we're talking about. They can click the link and read it. Um, the local media would ask the board members and the college president uh, their opinion, okay. and it would always you know, be opposite of ours. Uh, after we were there for six, nine months, um, we ended up suing them along with Adam Angieski with OpenTheBooks.com to move their meeting into a larger space. They would have a meeting in a room with, that holds like 60 people and they would block off half of them with reserve signs and found out later the college president was forcing the non-union employees to attend and take up the reserve seats. Um, so basically, you had 30 people able to come to a meeting. Yeah, so we beat them back into court the day of their next meeting and over 500 people showed up that night. Wow, what was what were they doing? Like, what was the egregious stuff that he was? Um, a lot of it dealt with uh, pay to play issues with contracts with their, how many, how many millions of dollars, Kirk, was it the new campus? The, the campus itself was half a billion dollars. Yeah. $500 million. And, and they, they had a, it was, it, a lot of it was pay to play contracts, no bid contracts. With their foundation board members. Wow. And, and yeah. the, the, ironic, the ironic part on that one, the, the college attorney representing the board was also a college foundation board member. And I mean, the pay to play was just unbelievable. Even there, some of the board members says, you know, we've got a real problem here. This, this has the appearance of pay to play. They told the state of Illinois, you know, hey, these people have a architect contract with us. Well, we looked at it and we started digging into it. Gosh, the contract that was an architect contract, um, that person hasn't even graduated any college. So they're not an architect. And we found four separate contracts where this woman is named as the architect on projects. Well, you don't have to bid architect projects in Illinois. What a way to circumvent bidding. But wow. it's literally millions of dollars going, going no bid straight to COD Foundation board members. And, and within this process, uh, the people that supported, uh, that eventually joined, everybody joined all the forces joined the one cause. That was the problem. The, the left, the far left, the right, the far right, the, the center, uh, the union people, uh, employees, uh, regular voters, everybody was all focused on the same issue. And when it came time for the final vote to uh, the board to terminate the college president, um, that was at that meeting with 500 people present and there was 
How many, how many people spoke? It's like two and a half, three hours worth of public comment. Yeah, it was over three hours of public comment. And, and, you know, ironically, out of that whole deal, there were five or six pieces of legislation that got put in place to stop that kind of stuff from happening in the future. That's great. Um, I mean, it was, there was a lot of good that came out of it. But back to what you said about one person on a board. Yeah. The vast majority of this started because one woman on the board said something's not right. And she reached out for help. And that was the end result five, six years later. Whole new board, new policies, new laws. Mm -hmm. That stuff will never happen again. Kirk, thank you. I was that my question was going to be, how did this get bird dogged? And so there was one person. And if if anybody, you know, as they're listening to this or watching it, if you hear one thing, is that I always tell people, trust your gut. Now, the attorney who I used to work with hated it when I said that, but I'm like, when you just sense something's not right, what's the harm in following it through? What's, right. what's the harm in asking the question? And I think this is also encouraging to let people know you may be one person, but you can actually make a difference, whether you're a school board member alone, a city council person, um, or you're taking on, I don't know, the, the state senate president or whomever right i mean there's but, but i would encourage people to just do your homework and be thoughtful and what i want to be able to do is kind of bring you guys in so we could train some people i'd love to have a watchdog in every single county that's my dream i want a watchdog in every county in kansas we got 105 it's, counties it's surprisingly easy but before i forget i want to get back to this one person can make a difference Okay. To keep it in perspective, not only can one person make a difference, but to make them understand the importance of one. How many games at the national level are won by one point? Hmm. One vote. Your one voice can make a world of difference. And if you don't think so, did Martin Luther King make a difference? That was one voice. He made a difference. But if we stay silent and continue to stay silent, we will never fix this problem. Yeah. Well, John and Kirk, I want to thank you for your phenomenal work, your efforts, your tenacity. You guys are bulldogs. Uh, and I love that. And I love the watchdogs. It's great. And, um, and I look forward to kind of having you guys come and help us in Kansas have a, a good idea how we hold people accountable. And that's on both both sides of the aisle, folks. I'm not, so I'm all about what's right and just and following the law. So thank you so much for your guys' work and I appreciate you making time for me today. Thank, thank you. you, appreciate it. Have a great one, you guys. Dancing moves your painted red shakes through.